2: Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeart. Like, share, follow, subscribe. Always available wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
4: Anything to talk about? Yeah what? I would say there's, there's something to talk about. Uh, the lovely Amanda LaFrada on the road. But nice enough to uh, be a part of the program as always. Good morning, Amanda. How are you?
5: I'm doing well, Dave. How are you?
4: Um, well, I feel I, I honestly, even though week one was week one, I kind of feel like week two was week one because we learned a lot more against some more quality opponents and. Um. Yeah, a lot of upsets. We're going to get to Tennessee. They avoided what would have been a very significant one. And uh, we're going to have today's tough question coming up. Comments from Cooper Mays. Also comments from Jacob Warren on the Vol Report. And want to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. Great response over the weekend to some content that we put out. And we appreciate that. Like and subscribe. And please turn your notifications on. We need that. So, I tell you what, Amanda. Um, Tennessee comes away from that football game against Pitt, and uh, Caleb and I talked about it after the game. Caleb Calhoun, you can follow it offduksports.com. He's got the Josh Heupel press conference covered today, and it was certainly a bullet dodged. Um, as you come away from that game after watching it, should Tennessee be Tennessee fans be concerned? Or pleased that they toughed out a victory because some teams didn't, like Notre Dame.
5: Oh, yeah. Or Texas AM. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tennessee fans should be very happy that they toughed out a victory. I mean, I, that's, you, you finally have completed the last step in this whole process of getting better and being back. For a long time, it was good, good, good until at the end, you hit a wall and you couldn't you couldn't win couldn't go through with it. So now you've gotten to the step where it's gotten hard in in a hostile environment and and you came out with a victory even in overtime. You it's very hard to go somewhere in overtime and come out with a victory and you did. On the road, came out with a victory in overtime, composed, all of that. Great coaching. Just you should be very proud of this
4: of this one all right well i will go ahead and open it up to our uh, chat board if you want to give us some comments john saying Phew, ugly w but a w nevertheless um before we get to the down and dirty at 30 brought to you by honeybee coffee amanda let's uh dive a little bit deeper into this tennessee game i know there was a lot going on and we're going to get to that and other games and the nfl last night as well so my Cowboys season is over <laughs> jack Prescott. Ooh with a broken hand and he's going to be out six to eight weeks or I think four to six weeks. They're going to lose five of those games. I feel pretty confident. So that was a fun run. I got kind of excited. Um, Amanda, the, the, the Tennessee game, I thought that Pitt was every bit as good up front as advertised. So let's not forget, this is the program that produced Aaron Donald. Let's not forget that this is a program that relies on a lot of movement up front, smaller guys. And I thought quite frankly, they surprised Tennessee. And I thought Hendon Hooker was taken aback early in that game. I don't think he played his best. That's why they were down 10-0. But Amanda, to your point, got out a victory. Let's not forget, this is the number 17 program in the nation on the road. If I told you in uh, June that you beat the number 17 program in the nation on the road, you would take that. Now, I was also impressed by Tennessee's pass rush. Obviously, they had four sacks, knocked one quarterback out of the game, and almost a second. And uh, Keaton Slovis was the first. Matt Patty was hobbling around. The poor guy, man, he was really struggling. And Amanda, there were just too many dumb mistakes. Now, when I say a dumb mistake, just so you know what I'm referring to, I... I'm talking about a mistake. That's probably not going to happen again. Like the Trayvon flowers. I mean, that's a fifth year senior, the fumble punt return that kept the game alive in the fourth quarter that he's just not going to do that. Probably again, this year, that was just poor fundamentals. Instead of running through the ball, he ran through it too early, but there were, there were some dumb mistakes now as from a macro level, um, I do think that Tennessee is going to have to address what Pitt did to them up front and the way they defended them because uh hooker was a, a little bit surprised, but yeah, I just don't think those mistakes are going to crop up throughout the year. I mean, uh, maybe they will, but I don't think they will.
5: No, I don't think that they'll crop up at all. I mean, you have a very, you know, in some of these, in some of these positions, you have very strong veterans and, and it's, you go out against ball state and you put up the, the numbers that you did and you, and you played the way you did, but it's ball state. So we're back to, you know, a power five conference and somebody that's good. I mean, that's good that no one ever said that they were bad. I didn't say I thought that they wouldn't be as good as they were last season. However, they're still good. And so, you know, you have these big mistakes because it's the first big time game this season everyone has them i mean look at you know alabama texas (laughs) look at will anderson two offside penalties you know twice in a row so even the best player in college football is gonna have them you know no no players immune to that but you you learn from it you continue on and that's how it goes
4: i agree it's brought to you by honeybee coffee the down and dirty at 30 why is Honeybee so darn good, Amanda Lafrada?
5: It's just good coffee. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's just good coffee. It can be 5% of the of beans in the world, it could be the top, you know, 1%. Doesn't matter if it tastes good, it's good and it's good coffee.
4: Let me fire off some things at you and we'll get to the chat board, but as far as the weekend, the Alabama game you've mentioned, but before you're an Alabama fan, uh, Texas-Alabama uh, I thought was was way closer uh, than anybody thought. However, I will say this. You, you have a Steve Sarkeesian who would love to beat Alabama. That would be a game-changer for his program and just boost what is already a fantastic 2023 class. So I think – Texas came out with all guns blazing from a schematic standpoint. Credit Alabama. That's one of the ugliest games that they played in a long, long time for getting the win. I wonder, though, you know Alabama better than me. I think there were 15 penalties, most in the Nick Saban era. Um, is Is that a concern long term or is that an aberration or do we know?
5: I don't think it's a concern long-term because I mean, it's you, everybody knows it's Nick Saban's, you know, team. So we're uh, to be so not disciplined was very weird to see, but the environment that Texas had and I'm not making excuses for, you know, the way that Alabama played, cause they did not play well. It was not a good win. It was, you know, that should have, we, Alabama should have come out with an L in that game but they survived and that atmosphere was insane if you if you get a chance to go on social media and look at some of the videos by the you know texas crowd and the student section and it was very 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 hostile very hostile and very loud so
4: so uh, I, I agreed i that's that's a place i'd really like to uh, see a game um certainly would like to go there love the city um there so we'll we'll see if that's in the cards for dave one day but uh the big upset obviously is texas a&m losing to appy state at home now jimbo fisher gets 10 million dollars a year to come over from florida state i looked it up his buyout's still about 90 million dollars if they wanted to make a change but i'm not suggesting that that should be the case yet amanda but I got a real issue with a team that comes out and and loses to Appy State in this far into Jimbo Fisher's career. This is not a situation where they, they kind of slipped up and this is the first year. This this should be a program number 6 in the nation at the time that should be established. These sorts of upsets shouldn't happen unless a team is in turmoil or unless is a team uh, unless it's a team in the first year of a rebuild. I got no excuses for Texas A&M. Zero whatsoever.
5: No, um Texas A&M has 56, I believe, four-star and five-star guys on their on their program apparently or they've recruited 56 and Ab States recruited one. And it's just like, how does that even, how how does that even compare? Like, you should not be in the same game. And what it comes down to, it's not the talent level. The talent level's there. I mean, you're in Texas, for God's sake. You know, the talent level's there. You're getting the recruits. It comes down to coaching. And it looks like, from this standpoint, Jimbo Fisher is a big fat fake.
4: Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Um, uh, Jameis Winston's a special player. I use the word generational probably too often, so I'm not going to use that. But I thought he was a special type of one-a-decade type of player. And then the other – cannon. And I'm sorry?
5: Scott Van Pelt um, referred to him as the hand cannon when he was at Florida State. Hand cannon.
4: I like that. I like that. That's pretty good. Um, and then, by the way, we're going to be joined by Chris Landry at landryfootball.com to break down Tennessee from an X's and O standpoint. The other big upset was Marshall beating Notre Dame. Now, Brian Kelly left Notre Dame in a bit of a lurch. And I recall being in the car the day that they named Brian Kelly's replacement. And Here is exactly what I heard. I heard a bunch of players uh, cheering. I heard a bunch of players really excited about the new coach, Marcus Freeman. That, to me, is scary. The fact that the the players are so incredibly excited means, I think, this is a given that this is a player's coach. Now, you can make a player's coach work. Dabo Sweeney is a player's coach. But for the most part, it doesn't work. And especially a guy that didn't have experience uh, that one would think you would need as a head coach at Notre Dame. He's 36 years old. I just thought that was a bad hire at the time. I think Notre Dame had better be careful or they are going to get themselves in a long-term mess like Tennessee did. Uh, I would not have a long leash with Marcus Freeman. And hopefully Notre Dame, for their sake, is smart enough not to have a tremendous buyout in place. But I just – I believe that's a sign of things to come. And I'm not hindsighting it. 2020, Amanda. I would have told you that last week. I didn't know it was Marshall, but I I don't think uh, Notre Dame will trend in the right direction in the coming weeks and years, if it's Marcus Freeman.
5: I mean – I'm a little, I'm very taken back. Taken aback by this loss. They played Ohio State really well. They yeah. looked like the better team. So then you go to question, well, how good is Ohio State then? Like really, how good are they? If they've played this Notre Dame team who just lost to Marshall. I mean, it was touch and go for Ohio State for a long time during that game. So my question is, this is what kills me about college football is because you can have a Notre Dame play in Ohio state within a point, and then you can have them lose to Marshall the next week. And it's not necessarily that Ohio state's that bad. It's just that, you know, they just, they they came out flat. And that's, I feel like that's the same with Alabama and Texas. They not that Alabama's as bad as, as they looked, but they just came out flat one, one week. So it goes, like that throughout college football.
4: It's insane. I think Tennessee fans can probably relate to this, Amanda. Philip Fulmer was a bit of a player's coach. And there were always these games that Tennessee just wouldn't show up for. And it just against a lesser opponent and have to eke out a win. It seemed like it happened once a year, if not once every two years. And I think that's where Marcus Freeman is. But I don't think that – Um, He's nearly as well equipped as Philip Fulmer was, who had John Chavis and David Cutcliffe on his staff, who are both were both considered very, very good coordinators. So I don't know. I I never thought that Notre Dame should have been in the top ten. I never thought it was a good hire. And I think you can vouch for me. I wouldn't say that hindsight 2020. So I want to get by the numbers, Uh, our OTH by the numbers. Uh, And that is Tennessee. Ranked And a lot of numbers to look at now that we have a little bit more of a sample size and uh, talking about Tennessee, you have to start with the Vols are ranked and moved up the rankings considerably. And I was um, I thought that, you know, Tennessee got a lot of respect uh, from the AP. I thought they got a lot of respect from the coaches for that win. And really they made more of a move in the coaches poll than anything else. So that makes me think that the coaches value that gritty win on the road, as opposed to some people that are out there that say, Oh, Tennessee should have beaten them by 20 points. Yes. Tennessee should have beaten them by 20 points, but ultimately I thought that uh, Pitt played a great game. So some other numbers as Tennessee is now ranked 16 and 17 in the AP and coaches, pole respectively and with the win against pitt hypo has more wins against ap top 20 opponents on the road not neutral sites, than tennessee's previous three coaches combined pretty crazy now it, you got jeremy pruitt butch jones Derek dooley were not able uh to defeat a top 20 opponent on the road and uh well Pruitt is coaching for the new york giants uh, and never beat a top 20 team on the road. I think I shorted Jones when Jones is trying to uh, get things going at Arkansas State. Duly hired as an analyst at Alabama uh, this past year. Uh, and then if you look back at those guys, former uh, Tennessee coach Lane Kiffin would have beaten a top 20 team on the road had it not been for the infamous Mount Cody game in Tuscaloosa in uh, uh, 2009. So. Former Tennessee coach Phillip Fulmer beat 13 AP top 20 teams on the road during his 17 seasons as a head coach. Johnny Majors only won six such games. It was in 16 seasons. That was a massive rebuild, and uh, there were there were a lot of down years in Johnny Majors' career that get forgotten about. But, yeah, what Josh Heupel has done shouldn't be lost no matter how ugly it was. And we were talking about statistically – one of the best runs that, that that you could possibly have tops in the AP era. Hypel has been able to accomplish a road win, non-neutral side again over a top twenty team in each of his first two seasons as of all. Uh, according to the Tennessee Sports Information Department, no coach has ever pulled off that feat in the AP era, which began in nineteen thirty-six. So that's some pretty strong. Love right there. That's that's pretty impressive to be able to win two games on the road against a top twenty opponent, Amanda, in your first two seasons when theoretically you're probably rebuilding a program because that's why you're the coach and the other guy wasn't. Is is darn impressive and something to hang your hat on.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think Tennessee fans should be really, really excited about Hypol. I think I've said that for a while now. Um, he's a, he's a great coach. I mean, he's taking the program in the right direction and I feel a lot of people say well we might not you know he might not be better than Kirby he might not be better than Saban well you don't know that as of yet I mean you don't know that he had the there's a, a wide you know future to to head down so if you can keep him keep him here keep him happy then I think you've got something really special in Josh Heupel
4: uh, more numbers as it's brought to you by Lawn and Garden Man Alive. It's worth the drive. Receiver Cedric Tillman against good opponents is very, very good. The senior has averaged 7.8 receptions, 135 yards, and a touchdown pass per game against ranked teams over the past two seasons. That includes matchups against number one, Georgia, number 18, Kentucky, number two, Alabama, and number thirteen, Ole Miss last season, as well as number seventeen, big player steps up in big games. That's impressive.
5: Yeah, I mean he's an NFL caliber. I think we've all known that. He's also bigger than he looks on on television. Jesus. In real life, um, I think his his stats are a little skewed as far as physicality. I think that he is bigger than what he's listed. He's heavier. He's taller. Um, but he's just he's NFL ready. And I think we'll really see his potential when he gets to the NFL.
4: I love the quote from Hendon Hooker that you can check out on off the hooksports.com on our YouTube channel. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button, please, and turn your notifications on so we can be a part of your day and give you tons and tons of Tennessee content. But I love the quote by Hooker. We talk about all X's and O's when we get all into it. And he said, I just looked over there and he was a lot bigger than the other guy. And uh, so it ended up being kind of a button hook type of route, but the ball was going Tillman's way no matter the coverage and the defensive back uh, Devonshire was his name DJ Devonshire uh, was about 511. So you and I've stood next to Cedric Tillman. Um, That's a mismatch. I'm about 511. I wouldn't be able to guard him either. Uh, as far as more on the rankings, Tennessee achieved its highest ranking in the AP poll since October the fourteenth, twenty twenty, when the Vols were coming off a win against Missouri, ranked number fourteen. Again, the Vols number fifteen in the AP poll, number sixteen in the USA Today coaches poll, and Tennessee has won more overtime games, according to Tennessee Sports Information Department, than any other team in the NCAA uh they were tied with Arkansas before Saturday's game, and now they're 14 and nine. So they've won 14 overtime games. And the victory marked Tennessee's first road win over a top 20 non-conference opponent since defeating number six Miami in 2003. What do you remember, if anything, about that game, young lady?
5: I don't remember any anything.
4: That was the that was probably the the best game that Philip Fulmer's ever coached. That was the most one of the most loaded teams that I have ever seen. And that was the I'm a soldier game. Do you remember that? No. You don't remember Kellen Winslow Jr. screaming, I'm a soldier, I'm a soldier. It was, no. it, was it was a long time ago. Gosh, a long time ago, but he continually repeated. I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. And here we are at war, actually. And it did not play well with the masses. Let's just say that. And um, we all know what happened to to Kellen Winslow Jr. Since. So um, Tennessee, I think, should be very happy. Had a couple of days to marinate on that. I think Tennessee should be very pleased with the win, getting away with that victory. So, Amanda, I would like to phrase today's tough question around that, if if we may, because I want to see a reset between what we heard Saturday night and if minds have changed as of today. So we were pretty straight up about it. We just asked on Saturday night after the game, and we'll be with you each after each and every game. Um today's tough question then was are you concerned so no not at all ended up with 52.9 percent and yes very much had 47.1 percent so is there a way we can phrase it and kind of reassess where tennessee's fan base is now that they're not in the immediate throws after almost getting upset on the road i don't know if you've got a good way to phrase that but Whatever you come up with, I'm sure will be fantastic. Check out our friends at Craft Treats if you have that pet that has anxiety because of storms or because of whatever the case may be, car rides too, and then arthritis. My dog's dealing with that a little bit. So very fortunate to have Craft Treats as a sponsor of this program and a fine partner that we are very, very proud of. So uh, we'll go to the uh, comment section for a moment as we put together uh, today's tough question. Uh, Danny saying I've no doubt Hypo will right the ship, um, and uh, Orange Blood uh, saying not sure how to process all that overtime stat. I thought th- th- those are good overtime stats. The fun, but not stat wise. But I did. Amanda and I were talking about how long the game might last last week, and I was like, I don't really know. You know, typically three hours somewhere in there. And I said, but you are talking to the guy who went down at the Tennessee, Alabama, five overtime game. So you could go down with five minutes left in the game. That's the college rule. The NFL rules, uh, I believe, two minutes. But anyway, or vice versa. So I always would go down at the sideline to get a head start to the interviewer. And that game seemed to be in hand, that Tennessee was going to win that game. And then before I know it, it's a five overtime game, and it took well over an hour and 15 minutes And Fat Dave's knees were not doing well whatsoever.
5: (laughs) Fat Dave's knees.
4: So you ultimately don't know. So where are we going with today's tough question? And we'll put that out there.
5: So I'm going to say, like, after all the dust settled this weekend in college football, what are you, how are you feeling about about Tennessee moving forward? Because I believe after that Kentucky-Florida game, which we haven't even talked about, you know, Florida was upset by Kentucky, which two weeks ago wasn't an upset. Was expected. You know the the whole Florida train just kind of crashed into a. We have a good athlete at quarterback. We do not have a good quarterback. It's a difference
4: with Florida. You know. yeah. Florida.
5: Yes, Florida. Florida's and their defense is just. God-awful, and you have to remember, Kentucky didn't even have their starting running back this game. So it's it's just – I think after everyone saw that, maybe minds changed a little bit (laughs) because before, you know, last week when we were talking, everyone was like, well, Florida's going to be another loss because look at what they did to Utah. But, I mean, after that, you have to see, you know, with Tennessee's schedule coming up, how do you feel now? You know, after watching everything else, how do you feel now?
4: So today's tough question, the final verdict on that is?
5: So after all the dust settled this weekend with Florida's loss to Kentucky, uh, Alabama barely squeaking it by Texas, how do you feel about Tennessee moving forward?
4: Okay. So what are our choices? How about, Very good, kind of good kind of bad it's gonna
5: it's gonna be like uh awful not great okay and hyped
4: yep i can i can go with that i can uh definitely roll with that danny's saying i'm feeling optimistic Uh, and uh chris landry is going to join us here momentarily i want to visit with him about the pending coaching carousel which is going to happen scott frost fired at nebraska Tennessee fans, you dodged a bullet because if Scott Frost hadn't been talked into going to Nebraska and had gone and taken the Florida job, then Dan Mullen would have been your head coach at Tennessee and you'd be in a way different place right now because Dan Mullen has proven that he can, he can work with quarterbacks, but he doesn't necessarily evaluate the right ones, or maybe he didn't even have one. But I think mean, Tennessee dodged a bullet there. The other thing to look out for if I'm Nebraska – The first person I'm calling and the second person I'm calling and the third person I'm calling is Mark Stoops and Mark Stoops and Mark Stoops, because I believe there are a lot of similarities in that program and that they don't have a lot of in-state talent. I think you have to develop players. Now the question is, first of all, Nebraska has Trev Alberts as their athletic director. It's over. Former players, coaches, just stop. You're not qualified. It's a CEO type of positions. It's not just about hiring coaches. So, I think Mark Stoops would be a great hire there, and I think that would be good for Tennessee because what was once a gimme win, Amanda, is a challenging game each and every year.
5: If they can get Mark Stoops, go for it. I don't think it would be a good idea for Mark Stoops, just in my opinion. (laughs) I don't think it's a good move for him. Um, But if you can do it, go for it. Do it. Um, I would – I offer uh, Bill O'Brien – to Nebraska. That is my offering. Believe Here me. you are. Take him.
4: So confused by that. I thought he was a really good offensive mind and, and now, look like it. No, now I've got real concerns. Pedigo Chattanooga, your locally owned store where you'll be treated like family. The region's foremost electric bike experts. They put their hearts into helping you find the perfect, perfect e-bike and they are awesome. I had a ton of fun with them out in San Diego. I have a ton of fun with them in Chattanooga, so you should uh, check it out. Uh, We would love for you to check out Pedego at Chattanooga because it's a whole lot of fun. So Chris Landry coming up next, and I'm interested to see what he thinks of an early coaching carousel. By the way, do you know what happens if Trev Alberts waits till October the 1st? He saves several million dollars on Frost's bio. Seven
5: point one million. He saved seven point one million. So that, to me, just just coming from you know a fan's perspective, it seems like they already got their guy.
4: Well, I do know this. That is exactly why Mike Hamilton pulled the trigger on Philip Fulmer during the season because he was afraid he was going to lose Lane Kiffin to Washington. So do they already have their eye on somebody? I don't know. You would think you could tell that person, we're going to wait till after October the 1st to save $7 million. I mean, I understand getting a head start in November. I don't know that getting a head start in September does much for you in a coaching search, but we shall see. So coming up, Chris Landry will join us next. But how about uh, Mr. Viles telling us about Big Orange Phillies, a great place to watch the games. It is awesome. Big Orange
1: Phillies, Mr. Viles.
4: All right, let's get to Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. His appearance brought to you in part by our very good friend at the Mattress Place. Mattress Place is right there on Chapman Highway. It's just a couple of miles away from downtown. You're not going to realize how close it is. and No gimmicks, just 30 to 70% off each and every day. The Mattress Place, absolutely fantastic. So, Chris Landry joins us now of LandryFootball.com, and Chris, always nice enough to share the time, and there's a lot to talk about now, no question about that, Chris. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Amanda's doing very well, because as, as beautiful and gorgeous as she looks right now, She's getting ready to hit the beach here momentarily. So she's in Hilton Head. So she's doing way better than whoa, me. Whoa,
7: whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, it's football season and we're hitting the beach? Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, wow. What? Well, it's good to be the queen. We lost the queen this weekend, but we got a new queen. Uh, wow, well, congratulations. And take pictures because that's close as I'm going to see the beach. I'm not a beach yeah. guy anyway you know get me on a golf course in uh, I have too much time in the beach anyway on a golf course so same oh for
4: yeah I have a feeling her husband David's gonna work some golf in as well so I oh just...
5: already already today he's scheduled he's he, going he's off a golfer noon oh, oh good
4: yeah. we need to we need to hook
7: up with David then I, I yeah just need somebody to pull me out the golf course because i uh, I love being on the golf course don't have much time football season but
4: mm-hmm. love the golf course. Now let's uh, let's let's break down Tennessee's game, and I want to get your thoughts on both sides of the ball. And I followed from your tweet, so I have an idea of roughly of, of what you think. But, but first, if you can take me back, because I said something before the break that I either wanted your verification on or correction. I think if Scott Frost goes to Florida and is not talked into going to Nebraska, that Dan Mullen goes to Tennessee, and. Mm-hmm. we have a totally different crazy scenario than what we're dealing with on September the 12th, 2022. How wild is that?
7: Yeah, no, it is. And, and, you know, I'm making the assumption that Dan would have taken the Tennessee job. Um, you know, but I mean, that's who Tennessee, Tennessee's very interested in Dan Mullen. And that was the first of, of an option before Josh, but, um, or actually I'm trying to think though. When was that? Was that, uh, anyway, it, it, was that, uh, Jeremy? I might've been with Jeremy. I, I can't remember, but Dan was, Dan was definitely somebody that Tennessee wanted. Um, but then obviously they went to, uh, uh, he went to Florida. So this is at the time. So he had that option. We don't know level of interest. Yeah. Just crazy. I think it happens all the time though. you go back, in history, it's happened all of these different situations. I mean, I go back to how um, you know uh, Pat Dye wanted the Georgia job because Vince Dooley, after winning the national championship, was going to go back to Auburn when they hired they fired Doug Barfield. Yeah, you know Pat Dye's from Georgia, so Pat yeah. Dye is that is that just quick story. So Pat Dye's at uh, at East Carolina and Bo Ryan leaves North Carolina state, the great young high coach leaves North Carolina state to go replace Charlie McClendon at LSU. And Bo Ryan tragically died in a plane crash, never coached a game at LSU. Mm-hmm. But when, when he left LSU, L- Bo uh, Pat Dye wanted the North Carolina state job. He wanted to leave East Carolina and the board members, some of them were on the board of East Carolina and NC state blocked it. So he got really ticked off and he left East Carolina and went to Wyoming. He'd never signed his contract at Wyoming coach there one year. And then that's when Vince Dooley and Herschel Walker, they won the national championship at Georgia. Well, Auburn had fired Doug Barfield and they were going to hire the former Auburn uh, player, Vince Dooley from Georgia. And it was close to happening. It wasn't the big media, you know, we have today and it was, it was going down. So Pat Dye, when I, he tried to get in quickly on the Georgia job, Pat Dye, of course, played at Georgia. Played with Fran Tarkenton and, and back in those days. So, so that was the, that's where it was headed. Well, then, you know, all of a sudden, Vince Dooley says, look, I've got a great team at Georgia. I'm going to stay at Georgia, even though Auburn's my alma mater. And so Pat Dye says, reverses course and says, well, I'd be interested in the Georgia job. And he convinced those guys, and the rest is history. I mean, Bear Bryant was headed to Arkansas, to be the football coach, he was an assistant at Vanderbilt. He had actually taken the job. He had agreed verbally to take the job. Two days later, Pearl Harbor breaks out, And it never happened. And not, Nothing. The whole world changed. And coaches were going to fight and all that. So wow. you never know what's going to happen. Now, go back into the current state. It's a lot of this. You know, it's all played out publicly in a lot of cases. So, yeah, it could have been. And, you know, everybody thought the perfect match with Scott Frost in Nebraska. And mm-hmm. what an unmitigated disaster that that was. And it just goes to show you that things aren't always what they seem. And sometimes it's the administration. It sometimes it's making those bad decisions and um, that's led to that. But yeah, what could have been, and, you know, folks are just thrilled in Knoxville that they got Josh Heupel and, you know, um, things have worked well off of a, a long series of what can be considered football Type disasters. Um, and, but I think he's doing it because it's exciting and well, he's winning, but still got a long way to go. A great win. I know we want to get into him. A great win because you go on the road, you get a win. Any win is great. Uh, but there are a lot of things to clean up and a lot of things going forward that uh, will allow them to win some games in the SEC, but not as many as maybe their fans think. But it's about getting better. You never stay the same. So it's not about again, you're not defined week 1 or week 2. You're defined on how much you get better because that's going to determine in a relative sense for everybody, you know, how things are going to play out during the year.
4: So I want to get to your X's and O's breakdown of the Tennessee game. I know Amanda wants to jump in there, so but I, d- I do want to ask you about Mark Stoops. Do you think he would entertain the Nebraska job because i, I you know, I look back at Philip Fulmer and the run he had and the run that Johnny Majors even had in the late 80s. Well, not that 6 season, but uh, the early 90s. And at the time that they had their best runs, Kentucky and Vanderbilt were gimmies. And Kentucky's not a gimme anymore. So it would certainly help Tennessee, I would think, if Mark Stoops went elsewhere, because history would indicate, other than Bear Bryant and Mark Stoops, you're not going to have success at Kentucky playing football.
7: Well, uh, I I think there's a lot of merit to what you say. I don't know that Mark agrees with that, but here's <laughs> the thing. Here's but I mean no, I mean from his standpoint, right? You no, know, he he sees it as I built this as a great job, and here's the thing about it is, I I think this is what's going to get him to get disenchanted with Kentucky if if he does. I'm not saying he will. It's And this is just kind of irks me. It's when the people start to say, well, that's great. You're winning nine, ten games a year at Kentucky, but when are you going to win the conference? You you don't. Winning nine and ten games at Kentucky is like going to the national playoffs and getting into the championship game. That's winning at Kentucky. I think as long as they understand that we got it good here, it's great, you know, um, I think he could be happy. Let me just tell you this. He turned down Florida State, Cole, and he coached at Florida State. Wow. But he knew that Florida State, you know, facilities, fundraising was a problem when Jimbo was there. And so he told him. he says, I got a better job at Kentucky and I got better facilities. Those Youngstown guys, they, they are blunt. Like, I mean, they will just call it like it is. There is no filter. Um, and, you know, Bo Pelini, Bob Stoops, Mark Stoops, Mike Stoops, I mean, all those, those Youngstown guys. But, but, I say that I know- affection.
4: For those that don't know, Youngstown,
7: Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah, those Youngstown, Ohio guys. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Um. Uh, look, he played at Iowa. I've often wondered, would he go to Iowa if Kurt Ferentz retires? Because that's his alma mater. Uh. I don't. I don't think he would go to the. Um. I don't think he'd take the Nebraska job to to answer the question there. Uh. I don't think he would would do that. I think he would leave Kentucky. For one of those elite jobs, but I think he sees Kentucky as a really good job, and I think you have to be careful to take a jump like Kentucky to Nebraska. If that you know, unless he is something about Mark that I don't know, and we've never talked about his dying love for Nebraska or something. I I just think that I mean I think his next step is to go to a bigger time job. I think he wasn't. He was on the list, by the way, down the list at LSU. Had they struck out, you know, and I think he would have taken that job. But, you know, he never got to that for LSU. Um, I think he'd take one of those kind of the the prime jobs, at, at, you know, in the right situation that he was comfortable with. But he's one of those guys that has to be the right situation, and he has to jive with the right people because if he doesn't like them, they're not going to like him. I mean, Florida State, by the time they got out of that interview, Florida State didn't want him, and he didn't want them. I mean, he just kind of—he that's kind of how it played out.
5: So, I want to get to um, the Tennessee game, Tennessee Pit, Johnny Majors Classic, uh, real quick, and I'm just going to ask you a broad, general question. So, what were your thoughts? About the game, what did you see that Tennessee did very well in? What did you see that they lacked in? Just give me a general recap of from a college football like genius mind.
4: Well, what about that? But um, I do. I'm back. uh, I I second that vote for the uh, Chris Landry's genius.
7: I I think um, what probably impressed me the most was how resourceful they were. I don't think their four-man pressures were very good. They ratcheted up They their pressures. They brought blitz pressure. They brought it from different angles. They got pressure, and they manufactured it, which you know can be dangerous on the back end. But Pitt left some plays on the field, and they weren't real effective throwing it, and they got enough pressure to mitigate some of the potential coverage problems. Did a good job defensively. Um, offensively, they didn't run the football very well. I mean, they just they they didn't have a good game there, but they made enough big plays. And you know, the one thing I kept thinking about in this game was they might lose this game because they can't score enough points. I mean, the defense is going to. I mean, and I, how 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 ironic is that? Because I'm thinking, well, that, you know, they that just, but they were able, they were resourceful enough to get it done with the defense, with the passing game, and look, the defense came up big. They only uh, to ten points after the first quarter. It's really really impressive. And they and look they and they came and those points came up on short fields after making mistakes. So clean up those mistakes. So what I look at it and, and I think people you listen to need to understand this that maybe are new to me that, that this is the coach that comes out of me. I'm not. I don't. It's critiquing is not criticizing. It, it's coaching. It's it's always. Well, we've got, you know, everybody are results oriented. They won. Everything is great. Now, had they lost, it would be the size fault. I mean, it's just all of those things. It's about what you can do to get better. Now, you know, so all those things were really good. Going to need to run the football better. And, and you're going to have, and they, look, they their offensive line did not play very well, but they went up against a very good defensive line, even though Pitt was short-handed. I wonder if Pitt has their quarterback for four quarters, if, you know, if it would have, it certainly would have been tougher for Tennessee to get some stops defensively and maybe it would have been the difference. Ifs and ifs, they won the game, they deserved the game, they output, that's it. But I'm looking forward to, okay, I think Josh is probably thrilled that his team won with defense. They showed some mental toughness, resiliency, when they didn't have their, you know, their, Their best in one area and they were able to be good enough in all three facets, even with the mistakes to build up on it. So pretty good. I mean, I thought the quarterback play was good. I thought the running back play was poor. I thought the receivers did a good job. I thought the offensive line again against a really good group. um, You you know, they, they, they they gave up 13 pressures in this game. Um, Look, that's a really good defensive line that Pitt has. Again, I'm going to say that again for the third time, but they're going to see good defensive fronts in the SEC. And, and, you know, it's about playing better. So I think defensively, defensive line thought they did a really good job. Again, their base pressure, you can, you know, their four-man pressures weren't quite ideal. And, and why is that important? Well, it doesn't matter as long as you get pressure. No, it does because if you can get base pressure, then you got maximum guys in coverage and better, you know, quarterbacks can and have success. I thought the linebackers were pretty good. I thought the secondary when they got pressure obviously was pretty good. Special teams was poor. You know, that's that's gotta that's those are things you gotta clean up going forward. But look, you go on the road, you beat a good opponent. Well, your second week, you gotta improve like everybody else has to improve. I, I think the staff should be proud, pleased on the good things and yet there's some things to work on and and to get better and say we got a lot of growth room and and we're going to need it going into the league.
4: Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. Check out that site. You'll know more about football than any of your friends. Chris's appearance brought to you in part by Owl's Nest Barbecue. Owl's Nest Barbecue has all the barbecue supplies you need, which includes they've got the sauces, they've got the rubs, they've got the... Uh, those wood, the pellets, they've got the wood chips. They've got it all right there at Alice nest barbecue. So Chris, what did, what did Pitt do schematically to kind of throw Tennessee off schedule early? Because down ten zero, Tennessee scored more points than anybody in the nation in the first quarter of last year. That to me was a, a, a little bit of a surprise. Did, did they do anything different, or were they just that good? You've alluded to how good the defensive line is. Yeah. I totally agree agree with you. But did they do something different schematically that surprised the balls?
7: Not a whole lot. I mean, they 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 changed their coverages a little bit early, but the main thing was the pressure. Um, the, they took away the run. And, it, it you know, it forced Tennessee to kind of be one-dimensional. And, again – to Tennessee's credit, they were able to get enough done without the run game to be successful. So when you can make a team a little one-dimensional, uh, it, it makes it difficult. So, and this is why it's important is because all of a sudden you, you miss a throw, you drop a pass or whatever, you have some stalls. I, I thought it was the job that they did defending the run. I thought the defensive line play of Pitt was the big thing. It wasn't a whole lot schematically. They started their front a little bit, which is they moved pre-snap a little bit, but, but they, you can't do a whole lot when you're going, you know, kind of Tennessee's tempo. So it wasn't really scheme. That was the difference. It was a play out front what that was the difference. With some adjustments coverage wise that they did, um, you know, plan, uh, playing some uh some spy looks and playing some kind of some some uh false looks back there where they will show too deep and then they'll bring a guy down but that's what they did they really took away the run and it created some problems forced Tennessee to win it with mainly the passing game and you know they did that um now let me just tell you uh that was the reason why as you alluded to the and I'm, I'm assuming this is what you're talking about a lot of missed I mean there's some missed throws I mean yeah. there's overthrows well a little pressure induced you miss them and that's kind of you stop the defensively i don't care who you are you have to stop the run if you don't stop anybody's run any anybody anywhere anytime any level you you've got no chance because the easiest thing to do is to hand the ball off run it you can't stop it you got no answers you, you're dead so even if you got a do extra things to stop the run, it starts there. You got a shot of maybe the quarterback throwing a bad <laughs> throw, receiver dropping it. So, I mean, You got a chance um, if, if if you stop the run and, and they've got to throw it in the back. You got a, a, a chance of winning. You have no chance of winning if you can't stop the run. So Pitt just did it, and they did it with a lot of base front, so they didn't have to put extra numbers to stop the run. And then that caused a little bit of problems from narrow throwing windows for Hooker, and he missed some throws. I mean, he missed some throws. There's there's no question. The other thing, I'm going to go back to it, Um, and I saw this, and I said this after Ball State, and I mentioned it for a reason because it didn't have anything to do with the outcome of that game. They still don't do a great job of working the middle of the field in the passing game. They consistently go with that fade stop, that back shoulder, where, you know, I don't know if you guys remember, I mentioned it last week running the red line. You know, we call that in practice. In practice, you put that red line, which is five, six yards from the boundary, and your receiver has to run that and not allow the defender to move them off it because that creates space, five yard space for the quarterback to drop the ball in if the defender runs, I mean, there's a couple of throws. It's like, there's no chance you can keep your feet in, even if it's a perfect, you just, they don't, they're not running that effectively enough and they're not taking advantage of, I think some opportunities in the middle of the field. Now against split safeties, you don't want to do that. Work the middle of the field, but I, and, and I know a lot of it was, they couldn't run the football well enough to move a safety in the box, to create more space but your two things, if you're going to run that route, you've got to run it better than you're running it. And, and for all the they, – they just – there's no way. It's like trying to, you know, throw a you – know, it's like trying to hit – speaking of golf, trying to, trying to hit a 100-yard shot, you know, uh, as opposed to a three-foot uh, three pod. It's just hard. It's just – you know, you, the, the key to success if you're going to run that is you've got to run it correctly. And your receivers have to stay on that, you know, proverbial line, that that you know, uh, imaginary line in the game. Of course, and they didn't, they don't do a very good job of that. When they do, that's when that 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 play is a let's use this analogy is a slam knock. It's an easy throw. But they they they're inconsistent with that. Give some credit to Pitt for being physical, but you've you're that's what you're going to do. That's going to be a staple. You better you better do it better than they're doing it uh, against better uh, secondaries, that's for certain.
5: So what do you think that Tennessee did, or why do you think they came out with the W in this game? What, what about them? Was it the coaching? Was it just, uh, you know, better players? What, what made them win versus Pitt? Cause it could have gone either way <clears throat> as we saw.
7: I think the defense of Tennessee stopped the run and Pitt didn't have enough in the passing game. We talked about going into the game. Um, Pitt's going to run the football. That's what they want to try to do. And I thought the defense stepped up, and they didn't allow Pitt's running game. Pitt's running game would have got on, and and they, they win this game. It's the ability to stop the run. So Tennessee, who didn't run the football well, made more plays in the passing game. Pitt could not, and that was the difference. Now, why is that? Well, you stop the run, and you got good pressure. You got a lot of pressure on Pitt's quarterback, the starter and the backup. And I thought they did a really good job. It, it, it you know, again, I thought there were opportunities for Pitt to make some plays in the passing game. They either miss them or they didn't have time. And that's, that's for Tennessee's credit. They knew that. And, and it, I think they felt like, um, it wouldn't say this publicly. I don't think, but, but they felt like they probably wouldn't be able to cover well enough if they getting, didn't get pressure home. So, Tennessee was able to make plays in the passing game when they couldn't run it as effectively as they had liked. Uh, Pitt could not. And so credit those things. Those are the things that their defensive pressure to force Pitt's inability to make plays in the passing game and defend the run to, to start off with. That That's the difference in the game. It was sloppy special teams. You know, they did some other things that they did that could have cost them the game but one of the good things you like about it is you, you you don't like those things. You're chasing perfection and you never get it, but you got to try to. It's just the way they were resilient. So the overall thing, resiliency. But hopefully I gave some specifics as to what those resiliency allowed to. Stop the run. You know, we got to throw the football a little bit more effectively they did. And we got pressure on Pitt after stopping the run and they couldn't make plays. We're a better team. We get out with a win on the road. And, look, that's why it was the way it was. If they had been – Tennessee had been able to run the football a little bit better, um, you know, uh, Tennessee probably wins the game more decisively.
4: All right, Chris, what did you make of that – before we let you out of here, what did you make of that Alabama game? Did Steve Sarkeesian do anything special? Um, and why in the world is an Alabama team that's really veteran make so many mistakes and so many penalties?
7: That's a question that I can't quite answer um, uh, uh, in that it's the most penalties an Alabama team has had in the Nick Saban era. Uh, In fact, it was it broke that record with about 12 minutes left to go in the game. So it was the most mistake prone game that Alabama's had. Um, It it, it reverts to a couple of things, and and this is going to sound a little, you know, like I've I've, heard this before. It, somewhere along the line, um, Alabama's offensive line has regressed to the point <clears throat> because they've become so pass happy. They don't run block very well. They couldn't run the football. Couldn't run the football. They couldn't come off the ball. And so this is what happens. You want to know why they make mistakes? It's on undist- because they were having, they were doing a poor job. And when you're doing a poor job, you get antsy. You, you try to get a jump and so you make a mistake and you got a penalty and you got another one and you got another. And, and that's that's so when you're struggling to execute certain things, it leads to mistakes, penalties. Alabama, they couldn't run it. And then at some point they stopped trying to run it. It's not going to work. I mean, they're, they're going to have a great season, but they're not going to win the national championship if they can't. Play better. Now, they struggled with the offensive line last year, but they got a little bit better and they won the conference ship. So I have full confidence that they're going to figure some things out. But they are, here's the other thing is so why aren't they good? Well, because they don't do it enough in practice and they gave up on it in the game because they were concerned that they couldn't run it and they need to throw it and we're going to put it in the hands of Bryce Young and they were able to win the game. So going forward, the whole key is, to me, it's offensive line play. The defense is on the field way too much. Sark did a great job game planning knowing how to attack. They neutralized Will Anderson to a great degree because what they did is they, in some cases, didn't even block him. They ran away from him. They ran right at him. So you can't rush the passer if you got to defend the run first. So it was a great scheme. Sark had his team ready to play. But Alabama's play up front in the offensive line wasn't really good. That's not if Alabama's not being able to run the football is not what's going to allow them to be successful at their level. They're going to win games in the league, you know. But but they're they're going to have some challenges like they did last year. Let's remind folks they couldn't block Texas A and M. It cost them the game. They still could have won the game. They had drop balls and all that. But a lot of that those mistakes which are not just penalties, but other things, drop balls and what have you. The other thing that I noticed, their receivers could not get open. So there's offensive line problems and the receiver's inability to get open. Bryce Young is holding the ball too long. So now you got pass protection problems because he's holding the ball, wait for receivers to get open. So those are two things that they've got to get better. It's not like this is what they are. Oh, my goodness, look out the tide. It's over. They're going to go eight and four. No, it's it's not what's going to happen but they got a ways to go and they certainly don't look like the best team in the country right now, but you don't have to be right now. You have to win games and you have to get better and we'll see, we'll see what they're going to be four or five weeks from now. Cause I tell you uh, middle of last season, uh, I gave them very little chance to beat Georgia and they beat them in the conference championship game. So I'm not making, I'm just saying that they're just not right now what they need to be. And I think, they know that, um, you know, so that's, that's you know, I it. I I, I'll tell you this. I, I talked briefly to Nick yesterday morning he was come back from church. He said, well, oh, you know, your mama would do that. So, well, you certainly get soft on the offensive line. I won't, I won't tell you what he said in response. But uh, because he, he was coming back from church, I started to tell him, well, you know, you need to make a U-turn and go back to church. No, I'm just kidding. That, But seriously, um, no, that's just not that is not something that he sees acceptable, but it's, look, it's it's that's in a nutshell what happened. How about Texas AM? and How about that? Yes. How about that? Uh, what an embarrassment that was uh, for them. And Appalachian state's really good, but that's another team that they can't find their quarterback. Look, it's, it is fun to watch teams. Not I don't like teams struggling. I don't mean that, but it's fun to watch that. It's a work in progress. And it's an interesting thing, isn't it? That, one loss can ruin your season for A and M, you know, in their eyes, their fan base, the, the delusional ones that thought that they were a playoff team, which they were not, they're now they're now like the sky is falling. And I didn't think they'd lose to Appalachian State, but I thought they'd probably, you know, be nine and three, eight and four. And that's uh that's kind of uh it's it's an interesting dynamic that, you know, people are oh, we just talked it early. You know, Nebraska just fired one of their own and it's three weeks into the season. It's we're off and running, folks. It's a it's a lot of panic, but you know there's a lot of improvements. And to me, what makes the great teams great is that how much you get better. Um, and I'm curious to see the progression of some of these teams. On some crate, in some cases, the regression.
4: Chris, we will speak to you soon. Go to LandryFootball.com. I appreciate the time, sir.
7: Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate you having me. Take care, y'all. Have a great week. Talk to you later in the week.
4: Thank you, Chris. Someone remind Thank you. you. Zool Beer is the official craft beer of off the hook sports. Go to zoolbeer.com. That's zoolbeer.com. X-U-L Zoolbeer.com. Worldwide award-winning beer and a fantastic panoramic view of downtown that you can go hang out and have a really good time. How about Tennessee Center? Cooper Mays and Jacob Warren coming up, uh Tennessee tight end. And also Winners and losers from the SEC. More after this back in two minutes.
1: Harry Viles here, Viles Automotive on Callahan Drive. I've been selling cars here in East Tennessee for 27 years. In that time, I've come to realize it's not about the car. It's about you, the customer. So I'm here to take care of you just like family. Good credit, bad credit, you name it, we can get you taken care of. If we don't have it, we can find it for you. We can go across the country to get any vehicle that you want. And here at Viles Automotive, we don't believe in fake numbers. We just give you great deals and as always we want, we need and we appreciate your business.
2: Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vassy Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vassy, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassie's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. This is Steve
6: Rain. I own the Midnight Oil and Michelin Tire Direct Service Station here in Ottawa. It's not a fancy place, never has been. But it's a clean place with clean restrooms and good folks who work here.
4: She's Amanda LaProdd, I'm Dave Hooker Winners and losers of the SEC We'll get to that here momentarily, a Monday staple We're with you each and every weekday at 8 Thirty and don't forget our YouTube channel, go to sports.com for great coverage But the YouTube channel. Pretty proud of it. Uh, we are going to have a new feature that's going to be called the Volunteer Vault and it kind of piqued my interest when we had Heath Shuler on. Two, what? Yes, two.
5: Two new features. Two, two new features.
4: Yes, and we have uh, Caleb's Checkdowns as well. So. Yeah. Uh, So we've got a a lot going on. Check out the channel. We already want to tell you we certainly appreciate the support, and that leads me to please hit that like and subscribe button as we get to winners and losers of the SEC. So as we look back over the weekend, should I take Texas A&M just out of the equation because they are the biggest losers of the SEC?
5: I don't want to take them out of the equation. I want to talk about them. (laughs) I love it. I love it.
4: It really is not even close. They are the biggest. Even if Tennessee had lost on the road against Pitt. Still, to lose to Appy State at home is in a whole different ballpark. Um, They're the biggest losers of the SEC. Your thoughts? Um,
5: They're definitely the biggest losers of of the SEC. And not only is it because they lost to App State, and I get it, App State's not a bad program. Granted, North Carolina was able to beat them and put up just ungodly amount of points. So for Texas A&M to be so bad that they only put up 14 points against App State, first of all, that's not great news. But second of all, they are unrealistic with, with their expectations you know you have Alabama fans who expect to go to the playoffs because they've they've been there Texas A&M thinks that they are a national contender and they're not they're just not they are completely unrealistic and they had this yell leader thing that's going around now on Twitter where they just dogged App State before the game, and I guess they, it's some traditional thing that they do with every school, but now that's come out and it just looks awful. And they paid App State one point five million dollars, and App State's trolling them on Twitter, going, "Thanks for the one point five mil." Like, yeah, you couldn't, that- you couldn't be a bigger loser than Texas A&M. You just couldn't.
4: So who's the second biggest loser before we get to the winners of the weekend? Uh, this might sit unpopular with you, but I'm actually going to go with Alabama, even though they pulled out the win. And and here's why I just didn't expect a sloppy game out of a veteran group coached by Nick Saban. And uh, based off what Chris Landry said earlier, um, I, I rely on him a lot and, he still thinks that the offensive line maybe is affected by being too pass happy, but the, the thing he said that really stood out to me, the receivers were struggling, were struggling to get open last year, barring injury before injury, they had the two best receivers in the nation and it wasn't even close. So when I hear things like that, it, it makes me wonder if they can top Georgia, which we all think that's going to be the eventual matchup, but man, all of those penalties, Amanda, to break that record under Nick Saban with 12 minutes left in the game. I don't want to overstate it, but if I'm an Alabama fan on September 12th, I'm I'm a lot closer to very concerned than everything will be okay because the standard is to win a championship. It's not to win 10 or 11 games.
5: Well, yes, but that's <clears throat> for people to think that that should be the standard every. Season than it is at Alabama, and it's because Nick Saban spoiled the crap out of everybody. But it's that if you don't make it to the national championship, it should not that shouldn't be like the end, the end of you know college football as we know it. It's this is an unheard of, unheard of era, you know, with Nick Saban, and it's not one that's that doesn't feel too bad from an Alabama fan's perspective. However, the, there's nothing for them to fear, really, nothing. They're bringing back two of their wide receivers who have been absent since preseason because of injuries. They're both coming back um, next weekend. So for that's a possible answer to a question of, you know, drop balls and all that stuff. It just looked like a sloppy game. And if you watch Alabama football every year, there is a game – that it all comes to a head, like it starts looking bad, and it slowly goes downhill. And then there's one game where they lose. And then they pick up and and go back on, maybe this is the wake up call that they needed. And it's early in the season. So quite possibly, this is, you know, everything will be fine after this.
4: Winners and losers in the SEC. I'm not going to knock Florida for losing to Kentucky because I think Kentucky's really good. As Matt had pointed out, we don't really know uh, how good Utah is. So who Florida beat the week before? So I, I look at or Utah State. Excuse me. Um, I look at this game. No, Utah. Utah, Utah. Excuse me. Um, so I look at uh, the Kentucky Florida game. I don't know. if There's a big winner or a big loser here. This game kind of played out the way i thought it would um as far as uh, some other games i i really think the big winner out of the weekend was tennessee i mean to to be able to survive and uh, on the road against a ranked team i think that's that is your big winner in the sec now i'm not saying it's perfect and i know A lot of people wanted it to be a blowout and were excited about that. And that probably should have happened, but Tennessee made a lot of mistakes and got out of there with the victory. And I, I just think there's something to be said for that. Much like you referred to Alabama, I think there's something to be said for winning a game ugly early in the game. A lot of times it pulls you together and that could happen for Tennessee. It could happen for Alabama.
5: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's a big difference in winning, I think you mean winning the game early in the season, like an ugly game early in the season. Right. So I'm going to go back a little bit with the winners and losers. I do. I would not put Alabama in the in the losers bracket because I don't see how you put somebody who wins a game in a losers bracket. It doesn't matter the expectations and like we've talked about, preseason rankings mean mean absolutely nothing. Not that they're not talented and not that everyone's not expecting them to win um, this season, but it means absolutely nothing. So if you win the game, you're never going to be put in the losers' position. Just in, just from where I'm coming from. Now, Florida, I would definitely put in the losers' position, and I would put them or South Carolina tied at two, like the greatest loser in the SEC this weekend, and that's because they have been exposed, like exposed. They they can't stop anybody. Their defense can't stop the run. They um, are very suspect on coverage as far as, you know, downfield play. They, Their quarterback is not a quarterback. He's an athlete. He's a great athlete. He's, he's fast. He's, you know, he's everything that you looked for in like a Johnny Manziel type, except he's not as good. He can't hit anybody. He can't throw. He doesn't make great decisions. I'm not trying to burn on the kid, but it's the NIL now. So you're a professional athlete. So, yes, as far as the quarterback position is concerned, I think the rumors before the season started with, you know, is Anthony Richardson the guy, is Billy Napier really behind him? No, he's not the guy.
4: I think that both of our picks, to some extent – um reveal our expectations of the teams going in you were higher on South Carolina than I was so I really wasn't surprised mm-hmm. to see Arkansas handle them the way they did because I just wasn't as high on South Carolina before the season I was just
5: I was low on Arkansas I wasn't necessarily high on South Carolina I was just low on Arkansas I didn't think Arkansas really had it
4: yeah they're they're just going to be a physical team that people aren't going to like to They like to play, and I I think that tests your your metal pretty quickly in a game, and the reason I put Alabama in in there as a loser, even though they won, is I look at Alabama's roster, and I see one of the top two rosters in the nation. I look at Nick Saban, and I think a guy whose team's not going to make a lot of mistakes. So, did they win the game? Absolutely. And kudos to them for showing the moxie to get through it. I don't mean it to sound like I'm throwing shade their way, but I come away from it. I mean, I come away from it thinking that team is not nearly as good as I thought they were. Now, in a month, we could be having a totally different conversation, but that's why uh, winners and losers from the weekend, I would say Alabama, even in a win, which I rarely do. And it's the way they. It was the way they barely won, which, which stood out to me. But, again, they could completely bounce back and win a national title. It wouldn't stun me at all. Uh, I don't pick Georgia as necessarily a winner of the weekend because they're just darn good and they weren't playing anybody.
5: And- but they only won by – I mean, I'm not saying they only won by 33. But when you look at what they did against Oregon – you automatically think they're coming out and putting, you know, 60 points on the board against a no-name. I can't even remember who they played. Samford, yes, Samford, who I don't even know if you can find a picture of, a, of their quarterback. But you're you're seeing Samford and you're going, okay, 65 points on the board and, and they only put up 33. So it was surprising to me. And I don't think anybody, except if you're a die hard Georgia fan, watched that game.
4: No. no, no, definitely not winners and losers. Uh, At the SEC, a Monday staple that we'll have here on Off The Exports with Amanda LaFraude. I'm Dave Hooker. Please hit that subscribe and like button. Turn your notifications on so we can bring you more content that we believe that you will enjoy. Viles Automotive Group will give you an enjoyable car or a very functional one, depending on what you need. They have a great selection there on Callahan Drive. Viles Automotive Group is absolutely unbelievable because they know that your business is the key, and they want to make sure you're happy. So, Viles Automotive Group on Callahan. And if you're already making plans for the weekend, depending on when you're watching this, I would highly encourage you to go to Big Orange Phillies. Big Orange Phillies, there on Maynardville Pike, is in North Knoxville. It's easy to get to from the Halls and Powell area. And if you're Coming south, it's easy to get to if you're up there in Maynardville. So check out Big Orange uh, Phillies. Amanda, I promised that we would uh, get to uh, a couple of interviews that we had uh, over the weekend with Cooper Mays and Jacob Warren. So I want to play a couple of clips of those. I want to remind you that these are on the YouTube channel. So you can go listen to it. A couple of grand of you already have. And I appreciate that. That's why we need you to hit that like, and subscribe button. So Jacob Warren uh, and a quick one just discussed the way they came out in the first half, and that's just not who Tennessee
0: is. That's right. Like, they're up 10-0, whatever. There you go, up 17, whatever. Like, this isn't us. This is not our ball. This is not how we play. So let's figure out how we can get back to that, and then we all – we're all completely confident that once we start, under, like, start clicking, start making adjustments and, and start just playing the right way, that we'll be just fine. And so that was kind of the message on the sideline. Like, dude, like, don't get discouraged. We're literally playing the worst that we can play. And, you know what I mean? Like, it's 10-0, right? <laughs> like, it's not it's not out of hand yet. So, um, obviously, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't want to say nerve-wracking or, or whatever. But just having the understanding that, yeah, man, like, it this is not us and we're, we're going to go, and we're going to get it right. And we're going to, and we're going to like come back. Right. We really weren't down that much, but um, just knowing we'd figure it out.
4: Jacob's appearance brought to you by Bassi lawn and garden. And then Cooper Mays talking about when a player makes a mistake, how do you handle that? And I can tell you that from visiting with Jacob, that Trayvon flowers on the punt return, that he fumbled in the fourth quarter that kept pitting the game was incredibly emotional. Not only was he emotional with the fact that he almost lost the game for Tennessee with that play, but he was emotional by the fact that he was able to register a sack in overtime and help get Tennessee back in the win column. So it was a little bit of both. Tennessee could have still won, talking to Jacob Warren, Tennessee could have still won had. Trayvon Flowers not made that play, but Trayvon just felt a lot of emotions because he helped Tennessee bring a game back that he put in serious jeopardy. But Cooper Mays, Tennessee center, talks about uh, players making mistakes and how you got to bounce back and what you got to do. How does this team react when somebody makes a mistake? Um, is How important is it to support a teammate when they make a mistake in particular, I'm thinking of Trayvon flowers because uh, Jacob had made mention that he was pretty emotional after the game and was re- so happy to not only pull it out, but make a big play supporting each other. How important is that?
8: Yeah. Um, it's huge. Honestly. I mean, we're all out there on the same team. We're all trying to get the same thing done. Nobody's, nobody. I promise you, nobody goes out there on the field and thinks like, Oh, I'm going to mess this play up or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you got to have grace, it's a bunch of 19- to 21-year-old kids out there, you know, making full-speed decisions, and sometimes it just doesn't go your way. And let's also remind ourselves that the other team is also on scholarship. Like, they they were recruited as well to, to beat us. You know what I'm saying? Everybody gets beat every few plays, every now and again. It's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then the person you're playing is probably not up to par with who you are. So just keep that in mind, probably. That's what I would say.
4: I would agree with that. I think I think fans of all schools think that their team is good and all other teams are evil. That's, that's, not, that's not really the case. As far as what they did defensively, how different or similar was it to Walt, what Ball State did the week before, who was really just doing their best to keep things in front of them?
8: Yeah, uh, completely different. Pitt, Pitt is one of those teams that I was talking about probably in previous episodes that you know they they like their guys. They like what they do. They know their scheme, and like I said last time, they beat us with it. So you don't really uh you don't fix what's not broke what's not broken. So they they did something completely different. They ran four down, trusted their DBs to to make plays, and that's probably why we threw it a little bit more instead of going to the run. But um yeah, completely different is what I would say.
4: Cooper Mays' appearance brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning. It's all about integrity. CityHeatandAir.com. They've been in business for over 50 years, and there's a reason why, because they will take care of your HVAC unit. It is absolutely awesome, and they're not going to make you any sort of promises they don't keep that City Heating and Air Conditioning. So some message board bingo. Who can beat us? Message board bingo is where I look stupid. Which my wife would say that's uh, like five o'clock in the morning until midnight. And so we'll just leave that there. But
5: wait, wait. Who can beat us? There's
4: who no can, us. Oh, who can beat yeah, who can beat me? You know there the you answers. Go. So I
5: know the answers. I'd Alex, give Alex them
4: Alex Trebek. Um yeah. So anyway.
5: Yeah. Oh, can we revisit today's tough question first so we can look at see how Tennessee fans are feeling?
4: Yes, where are we on that?
5: Okay. So, after all the dust settled this weekend in the SEC with Florida's loss to Kentucky and Alabama barely squeaking by Texas, how do you feel about the balls going forward? So, we have four options awful, not great, meh, okay. Very excited. Those are your four options. So, 51% of Tennessee fans feel meh, okay, but then forty three percent feel very excited. No one feels awful, and very few people feel not great. So, seems like opinions have changed.
4: I thought they would from Saturday night.
5: Yep, uh, yep.
4: Couple great. of innovations, a closer game than you thought, and you're ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, no
5: babies, <laughs> keep your babies
4: and uh now suddenly you're thinking maybe uh pull the baby out of the tub before you throw the bath water out so okay. um again big picture even if you didn't watch the game if you were in alaska polar bear hunting the big picture is they're you know, they're you can't you're hunt.
5: not allowed to polar bear hunt because they're like endangered
4: <laughs> but if don't you do
5: that.
4: if you're out hunting bald eagles don't do that either <clears throat> If you're out hunting, um, whatever, and you're lost and you're away from everything, and you come back to your screen, phone, whatever it may be, and you see that Tennessee beat a ranked opponent on the road in overtime, and you're a Tennessee fan, you should be happy. This is not a program that's at the point of a Georgia or Alabama where things are a given. As a matter of fact, those are the only two schools in the SEC where you – would think things are a given, and even they're not always.
5: A no, given. not, so. no, they're not always a given at all. Like, I mean, look at this past weekend, my god, they're not a given, you know. But <clears throat> I was more, most impressed with Tennessee beating Pitt in the fashion that they beat them, and it was only in one overtime. You go on the road and you go into, you know, an overtime more than likely you're going to lose if you're the visiting team. I mean, that's, that's just – that's why people try to go on the road and get out of there by a two-point conversion or field goal or whatever to just get out during regulation.
4: I agree with that. Something that might surprise you, though, if people go to the YouTube channel and watch the Jacob Warren video that we had brought to you by, uh, of course, Massey, Lawn, and Garden, he thought they were going to go for two at the end of regulation. That's surprising.
5: Not that didn't surprise me. Most, you know, most teams try to do that. We saw Titans Giants last night, and Giants did that.
4: Well, I mean, you thought Pitt would go for two at the end of regulation. Oh, yeah. I so yeah, I thought about it at first. I was like, well, you're at home, but with a backup quarterback, I, you know, I didn't say it at the time, so I don't believe in hindsight 2020. But probably the better decision. Is to go for two right there.
5: And not if you're if you don't trust it. I mean, if you don't trust it and Pitt didn't trust it, obviously. It's not, you know, not going for two. And correct me if I'm wrong, didn't Tennessee stand them up like at the goal line or like at one yard, like three times or something like that? So Going for two in that situation, it seems stupid. Tie the game. If you're pit, you tie the game and you take it into overtime. If you're at home. Your likelihood of winning is is increased.
4: I would and agree. This I, is my feeling. I would agree with you 99 of the time, and probably still do. But with a backup quarterback and what Tennessee has offensively on the other side, it would be a much stronger consideration than otherwise. Um, yeah,
5: but if he can't pull it off.
4: You lose. You always have the two or three of those gotta have them plays that are near the goal line. Usually they're saved for overtime, and you usually have two or three of those. And I would think you would have one that you could you could pull out and feel comfortable with. But may, maybe Matt Patty, the backup quarterback, who I love his name. It reminds me of the guy from "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." Maybe he didn't have a good enough knowledge base of what they could do in overtime. I don't know. I just, Jacob brought it up and that on the sideline, they wondered aloud if they would go for two. And I thought that was very intriguing. All right. Message board bingo. Cause we're cruising through and we want to get to this message board. Bingo. You read out the message board post, and then I will try to answer it. And if you can beat me, then I'm going to hook you up with a shirt. How sweet is that? So message board bingo is now. It's okay.
5: Yeah. So this coach just has the loser's way about him. He doesn't seem to have a lot of fight in him. I question if he truly cares that much. Might be able to drop a good dad joke or two during practice, but he just has zero fire. All the greats have some kind of passion. He's lacking. This is, this is a Big Ten school.
4: Big Ten school. Big Ten. <clears throat> lacking passion. I mean, it wouldn't be Michigan. It wouldn't be Ohio State. Okay, well, I'll go with Ohio State then. I'm trying to have passion. I don't know who it is
5: surprisingly for the first time ever it is wisconsin
4: it is wisconsin oh yeah upset loss there jason said nebraska that would have been a very good guess as well so i'm zero one message board bingo rolls on
5: <clears throat> who else is in trouble with their women silent treatment since yesterday evening i didn't handle the loss very well She also got mad that I posted on Facebook about how much we suck since I was obviously drunk. I hadn't posted since last season. Maybe the people love my excitement. Still silent treatment today, reading through my texts, and all the stuff I said, all the stupid stuff I said to people. Anybody in the same boat?
4: Wowzers. I'm going to say that that is a message board post on a Texas A&M board yes it is oh, one, one. fill in the flow with circular all right here we go third one can i finish with a winning record
5: all right dumb blank schools most of them transform overnight due to the portal due to the portal look at so- oh, sorry look at southern california if you can spell your name you can transfer there let's face it our school closed the gap, but never all the way, and now pretty much will never do it. The run from 2017 to 2021 will be the standard from here on out.
4: First of all, I can tell – you say Southern California? If you can spell your name, you can – well, I can tell you yeah. firsthand that that is not the case. <laughs> because,
5: I think it's different for athletes, I think, and that's true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're well, everywhere. My,
4: my son's athletic, but he doesn't play football. So. Um I will say that that was an Oklahoma fan.
5: That's a good guess,
4: but it wasn't. But wrong. no. What do get? Notre
5: Dame.
4: Notre Dame. Hmm. Got to part-
5: blame it on somebody else. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I mean, the weird part about the Notre weird part about it being Notre Dame is the academic requirements are actually, I believe, tougher at Southern California one of the toughest in the nation and they're not easy Notre Dame. so I, i've learned more than i ever wanted to know about this recently because my son's going through this process that some some schools value like community service and that sort of thing other schools will value having a a, a job um and you know in addition to school basically every school wants you to work like 80 hours a week as a 18 to 19 or a 16 to 17 year old, my son happens to be a little bit older, but, uh, anyway, uh, so this day in sports history, Amanda, anything exciting happened happen on this day in sports history?
5: Um, so I mean, Jesse, there's a lot. I did see what?
4: that Jesse Owens, um, was listed as having his birthday lived from 1913 to 1980 of all the sporting events that you could be at. How cool would that one be? to be at at the olympics when hitler thinks so poorly of african americans and thinks he's got this this better race of people and uh jesse owens just shows him up right there in the middle of the olympics and adolf hitler gets up and leaves during the middle of it of all the sporting events you could be at how fun would the uncomfortability be of that moment in berlin
5: well, I mean, going back, it would have been fun. But if you had, you know, hindsight, you'd be like, mm, maybe let's take that guy out right now. Like, maybe we should just go ahead and, you know, take <laughs> out Hitler. But, I, mean, I that's just me, you know, uh, I don't know.
4: Well, and, you know, I don't want to go out on a limb here, uh, out on a limb here but yeah, that Hitler seems like a bad dude.
5: Possibly, I mean it. It seems that way. I feel that possibly that's an that's a that's an accurate statement.
4: Yep. Yeah. Have a fantastic day, everyone. i Watch the latest <laughs> coverage <laughs> on the balls. Jeremy Heupel, Josh Heiple will visit with the balls. Uh, visit with the media, I should say. Excuse me. Uh, all discombobulated because I having a little bit technical issues on my end. But Josh Heiple. We'll um, visit with the Vols later today, Amanda, and I would say that he will come down hard on uh, Tennessee. I was going to refer to uh, Jeremy Banks, too. I, I, I'm kind of interested to see what the situation is with Jeremy Banks and what the situation is with Tennessee's linebackers in general because they've got to get better in pass coverage. That That's a, a real issue. So everyone have a an absolutely fantastic day. Again, we'll have – Josh Heupel's comments and our reaction to that on OffTheHookSports.com. Check out our YouTube channel. A lot going on there. And, yes, Amanda?
5: Oh, sorry. Well. Yes, I picked my picks. I was three of four. Three of four. Also calling the upset for Florida. And I picked App State to cover the spread at 18 and a half, which they did more than just cover the spread. I would really like to know what the money line was on that game. But, anyway, sorry. Continue on.
4: So you're three and one, three of four. I know what you mean, but it makes yes. it sound a little bit like three and four. You weren't three and four. You're you're three and one. Three. So three that, and one that puts you at the season as you turn things around at four and five. Does that sound right? We'll do- three
5: and five because one, three and five and one.
4: Three and five and getting there. She's Amanda LaFrada. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll visit with you at 830 every weekday. Don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. This is a presentation of Off the Oak Sports